Aces is a world forged from the elements of life, death, creation, and destruction. The tale of Aces' peace and balance is due to four magical orbs that keep the elements at equal levels. Guardians, much like gods, protect the elements, forever maintaining a balance known as the Equilibrium. Twelve separate nations control the land of Aces. Each nation varies in people and styles of government. These nations often maintain peace between each other, but every few centuries, death and destruction attempt to spread, and a nation may attempt to conquer a neighboring civilization. Despite all of the nation's differences, they all recognize that the elements are the true driving force and structure of Aces. Without them, this realm would crumble. However, it appears there has been an issue with controlling these elements as of late. But our story doesn't start with our five adventurers. A series of events unbeknownst to them sets the stage as a human warlock named Druce Balfour from the Crimson Command travels to the forest's edge of Dualwood. There he meets Phelan Morris, an elven ranger who guides him through the wood where a magical pedestal has been destroying the forest and uprooting the plant life. When they finally find this moving pedestal, Druce recognizes the spherical object that sits atop the pedestal as the green orb of creation. When he reaches out for it, the orb reacts and buries him alive with a tidal wave of dirt and stone. Phelan, untouched by the magical defense, begins to be chased down by a large monstrous earth golem. Simultaneously and far away from this event, just south of Dualwood and River's End, we meet Finch, a human ranger. Good-hearted and a provider to the poor, the Crimson Command sends word to Finch requesting a meeting. He meets Beric Bane secretly by the Crescent Stone. Beric has been assigned as a Crimson Command scout to work with Finch on an investigation of an elemental imbalance in the town of Arendor. As the two of them arrive, they find that the town is being harassed by vine blights, kidnapping people from the town and never seeing those people again. After fighting a few blights, Beric gives Finch a medallion which would be his invitation to join the Crimson Command. But even further south on the other side of the world, on the continent of Lunalia, within the Orc nation of Athern, Ashru arrives in the capital city in search of her father. While searching for her father amongst the city, she accidentally bumps into an Orc who notices she is not an Orc at all, and is also not a slave. This is illegal in the Orc lands of Athern. This causes a scuffle between the two. Astra being completely overwhelmed by this orc's prowess, Keth, a half-orc barbarian, steps in to help the small human sorceress. After chaos begins to spread around the fight, Keth and Astra flee from the fight and seek safety in Keth's home. While stealthily moving through the city, they get spotted by city guards searching for them. A chase leads them to the city canal docks, where they hide on the lower deck of a ship. The ship then begins to take sail, and they stay on board for the ride, not knowing where they are going. Back on Televastral, we meet the last two of our five fated adventurers. Doroth, Fabe, Grom, and Kyle, a gnomish fellow with a bardic style, is being harassed by some bandit ruffians for his gold. Thelamir, an elvish warlock from the land of Lethensis, steps in to assist Doroth with warding off these bandits. The two kill one of the ruffians, and the others scamper off in fear for their lives. Doroth, as a favor to Felomir for the assistance, 
guides Felomir to the location he is trying to find, the Scriptorium of Shadow, an archive and library dedicated to the Guardian of Darkness, Hanet. After hours of searching through the library, the pair find a document informing them about a crystal shard that can be used to enter the land of Mithron, which is now covered in darkness. The crystal shard called the Key of Kilnar is located in the Temple of Hanet in the Forest of Dualwood. However, the temple has vanished, according to the people of the Sanctum. So the two journey north into the Swamp of River's End to reach the south side of Dualwood in search of this lost temple. With Astra and Keth's boat docking on the river in the town of Arendor, Doroth and Felomir stopping for rest, and Finch stationed by the Crimson Command here until the reinforcements arrive, our adventurers meet for the first time in a tavern called the Turned Turtle. Here they learn about the issue with the Blights, the Vined Humanoids, kidnapping people from the town. And as they are prepping to find a place to rest and leave the tavern with a few L's in their system, an eerie fog has taken over the town. Then they notice a small boy in the fog walking towards them. An arcane rune has been carved into his forehead and blood drips from the cut. His skin slowly fades to a green tint and his body begins to tremble and shake, revealing tears with his stagnant face. All at once he lets out a loud scream for minutes and his body begins to bloat, tearing his flesh and releasing a pus. His scream fades away as a bright light appears from him. The boy explodes, knocking our adventurers unconscious. The next day, when our adventurers awoke, they found the town of Arendor covered in thick green vines, some of the vines destroying some homes and structures. They found that all of the townspeople were all knocked unconscious, some killed by the vines and explosion. To determine the source of this strange attack, our five adventurers head deep into River's End. Started with a dream. <laughs> 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 Erendor to seek out the source of the exploding child as well as the other kidnappings. The land surrounding Erendor is just miles of swampland, an environment that I had never been in before. It was wet, it was stinky, it was gross, and I loved it! After a few miles of traveling, we heard this strange gurgling croak. As we approached the source of this sound, we found out that it was some sort of little frog man. He was afraid of us at first, but he spoke common, and once he learned we weren't going to hurt him, he introduced himself. His name was, uh, It's hard to pronounce. Anyway, he was a type of humanoid called a Bullyborg. He told us that we were intruding on a Greenskin's land, and that we had to leave. But we won him over once Dorf played him a song. He told us that the Bullywogs were at war, and that the Greyskins were winning. Apparently, the Bullywogs come in all sorts of colors. The gray skins were the bad ones, and the green skins were the good ones. But then there were red skins, and yellow skins, and blue skins, and... Anyway, Bullybub made us promise that if he took us to a shack, that we wouldn't hurt his friends, and we took the Bullywug oath. 
The Bullywog oath was to let them feed us bugs because the Bullywogs love eating bugs. Balulubub told us that their chief, Wulukula, had imprisoned all of the Greenskins, including his father. He tried to recruit us to help fight the Greyskins, so a bargain was struck. If he would take us to the center of the swamp, we would help fight Wulukula and free his people. He told us that the swamp was full of strange creatures with markings carved into the heads, including their own chief, Wulukula. He had also seen humans wandering to the south mindlessly. He figured Felimir was our leader because Feli knows how to cast magic, and their chief also cast magic. It makes sense, I guess. So we made Felimir eat another bug as an oath to keep his word. We stayed overnight and we set out the next morning. Eventually, Balulubub's friends started croaking loudly because they had gone ahead to scout, and Balulubub made us hide up in the trees. And that's when we saw these monstrosities that looked like mishmashes of different animals pass under us. He told us that they are pets of the Sisters of Salamandal. He explained to us that Salamandal was their leader a long time ago, but he died. Balulubub said he would lead us to an underground tunnel of tombs. Meanwhile, his friends went out to gather the Ullibulibug tribes and would meet us at the big tree to prepare for battle with the Grayskins. Balulubub took us to this big pit in the ground and said this was the entrance, but he wouldn't come with us. He'd meet us on the other side. We traveled through this tunnel filled with tombs and eventually we found one familiar name, Salamandal. So we went in and found this big jade statue of a lizard man. I guess that's what he looked like. There was another room, so we went in. But it was dark and then there was loud noise like, And then there was a red light flying around and they said I freaked out, but I didn't freak out. Kath is never scared. We figured out that it was some sort of bird. And eventually Finch caught it. According to Astra, it was a construct. Felomir wanted to take it apart, but Finch said it was alive and he should not. Felomir said it could be alive, but it seemed alive to me. It had parrot ventriloquist artificial construct on its tail, so we called it Pivat. Dorothy even talked to it using some spell and learned that the bird's purpose was to protect the tomb of Salamandal from grave robbers, but the treasure was gone and that he had no purpose anymore. Finch fed him a button. Dorothy asked Pivak what the treasure was, and the treasure was Salamandal's body. There was one more room beyond three suits of armor. Felomir went to open the door and the suits of armor came to life. We fought the armor and during the battle that stupid gnome Dorth used some sort of spell that made an explosion of thunder and then it hurt us all. And then he threw his sword and hit me with it. After that everything just kind of went red for me and I don't remember much. They said I just stared at Dorth the whole time I was fighting and tried to attack the little jerk after he just we destroyed the animated armor. But he used some sort of magic that just made me start laughing hysterically. And it wasn't that funny now that I think about it. We stepped into the room and we found the tomb of Salamandal. And it was open and nothing was inside. Wow. Wow. We left the tomb and Finch kept Pivak with him. We finally made our way out of the tunnel and as soon as we opened the doors, Astra had another vision. This time she said she was an old man running through a temple, being chased by skeletons with glowing purple eyes. He runs up the stairs and slams the door shut behind him. The room that he was in was surrounded by these green crystals. And when she told us of this vision, Felomir told us it sounded like it was the same temple that he was going to in Dualwood. And these gems sounded like the keys of Kilnar. Balulubub joined back up with us, and we continued to head off. Not long after we left the tunnels, a large monstrosity leaped out of the waters and attacked us. It was a turcodile! It had the head of a crocodile, but the body of a tortoise. It was amazing! I had never seen anything like it. After we killed it, I cut off its head and peeled off its skin and made a skull into a buckler to use as my spirit totem. 
See, my tribe was taught that we would find our spirit animal when we set off on our own journeys, and that the spirit animal would imbue you with powers as long as you had the totem. So I now channel the spirit of the Turkadal whenever I need to fight. We continued to trudge through the swamp, and eventually Balulubub said he wouldn't go any further because the sisters of Salamandal lived up ahead and he was afraid of them. But I'm not afraid! We went to investigate and found several large huts on this little swamp island. Outside the huts were cages, cages everywhere. And as we approached, we saw that there was a dead body laying just a few feet away from one of those cages. Her skin was discolored and it looked like she had escaped her cage and cut her own throat. We started to investigate the huts, each of us splitting up the search. Asteroid and I found this shiny mace, I call it the Skull Smasher. Felomir found some sort of magic book and said it was calling to him, something about it being a guide. I, I don't understand him. Dorth went to the biggest hut and found what appeared to be some sort of ritual being performed. There was a bubbling cauldron with strange smoke swirling at the top of the hut, and the corpse of Salamander himself was on a stone ceremonial table. Finch wanted to burn the corpse, and I agreed, but Astra and Dorth disagreed, and Felomir wanted to study it before making any decisions. And while we were arguing about it, we started hearing splashing coming from outside. It was the sisters, and they had come back. We heard their old, shrill voices as they started talking about the dead body, and then they started sniffing. <laughs> they smelled us! Wow. Astra was watching them, and then she turned around to look at us, and when she turned back, they were gone. She came back into the room with the rest of us, and I started to walk towards the door to get ready to smash them as soon as they walked in. But then I just started floating in the air. Dor tried to grab me and pull me down, but I started pulling him up too. Astra and Felomir also tried to pull me down, and when Felomir turned away, Finch decapitated the corpse of Salamandal. Then I stopped floating, and then Dor started floating. As he was freaking out, we started to hear cackles coming from the corner of the room. We turn and we see the sisters, two old witches, cackling us as they found this so funny. It wasn't funny and their laughter was enraging. Then everything went red as I tackled, tackled one of them to the floor, channeling the spirit of the Turkadal. It took a big old bite out of her shoulder. But she kept laughing. Her skin started to get warm and then she was surrounded by some sort of fire aura. Behind me, the other witch had used some sort of magic to make an ice aura around herself. Astra tried to hit her with a firebolt and missed and hit this old tapestry that was hanging on the wall, and then it caught on fire. Dorth kept floating and floating until he was touching the roof of the hut, and the ice witch flew up and attacked him. But Astra, being the intelligent sorceress, used her magical abilities to pull the tapestry off the wall and dropped it on the flying witch, who fell to the ground and rolled around violently to put out that fire. Now that was funny. Then Finch threw more oil on top of her, burning her even more. Then she flew around the room to try to get away from us and she caught parts of the thatch hut on fire. And then Astra tried to put out the flames using magic to create a gust of wind from her hands, but she ended up blowing off half the roof and sent Dorth and the witch outside. That stupid ice witch decided to fly up even higher and try to dive bomb Dorth like a bird. But Dorth is so small that she missed and she dived straight into the ground. In her final act, she tried to slash at Felomir with her claws, but he had used his magic to create his own ice shield. And as she struck him, her hands turned this dark bluish purple and she passed out. And then Finch tried to help Dorth by threading an arrow through a rope and shooting it over Dorth, and it worked. And so Finch and Felomir started to reel Dorth in like some sort of skyfish. When we left the hut, we saw that this little swamp island that we were on were surrounded by hundreds of blights, those vine creatures that I was telling you about. 
I charged in. The numbers never mattered to Keth. But then there was this flash of blinding white light. And when it faded, the ground was scorched and the blights were disintegrated, turning to ash. Astra said she had another vision during the flash, where Salamandal thanked her for freeing his spirit and allowing him to rest in peace, and told her that there were other guardians waiting on her. And when Astra told us of this vision, we were confused, because Salamandal wasn't a guardian, at least not one that we've ever heard of. Felomir decided that we should burn the witch corpses, so we did. And as we were waiting for the witches to burn out, Felomir found the table where Salamandal's corpse was. It was one of the only things left after the bright light. See, the huts were all mostly destroyed as if the strong, fiery wind had blown them down. Felomir found an amulet on the table with a sigil of Salamandal on it. The amulet was magic, and Felomir said that it was some sort of amulet that would hide your inner morals from others. Was Salamandal good? Was he evil? Why would someone good need an amulet like this? We met back up with Balulabub, who was really excited after seeing us take care of the witches. As we ventured through more of the swamplands, the land itself seemed different. The sun was shining through the canopy, flowers were blooming, we saw more animals, like regular animals, like deer and beavers. After a few hours of travel, we find these massive ash trees. Well, we thought they were trees, but they were really roots. They were roots to the great tree. We walked through this hollowed out tree that was like a tunnel and it led us to this beautiful grove of solid ground and flowers and plants and there were butterflies in the air of all shapes and colors and it was so pretty. And as we approach the great tree, we see all sorts of bullywug of all colors, all hanging out on the treetops and around the roots and they all looked happy. Balulabub approached the tree and saw his dad. After talking to his dad, he told us that Wulakula had exploded. Apparently, whatever power he had was given to him by the sisters, and when we killed them, it blew up Wulakula. But apparently it destroyed their village, too. The rest of the Grayskins fled, probably going back to the mountains in Dualwood where Balulabub said they came from. We spent the rest of the day celebrating with all the Bullywugs. It was a lot of fun. Balulabub's dad, Balubub, gave us these really cool rings that were amber with little bugs in them. He said that he was very thankful that we helped them and that this would show that we are always friends to the Bullywogs. We decided to stick together and head to Dualwood to investigate the Temple of Annette. It was where Dwarf and Felomir were going to begin with, and afterwards they'd plan on going to Mithron. Finch needed to get back to his Crimson Command in Gamor, and that was on the way to Mithron, so they agreed Finch would help Felomir get to the temple, and Felomir would help Finch get to Gamor. Astra wanted to go to the temple to see what it had to do with her visions, and where Astra goes, Keth goes, and so we set off to Duelwood. Miss Astra, Miss Astra, tell us about the time you and your friends explored the Temple of the Darkness. Well, Toby, that's a long story and takes some build up, but settle down and I'll tell you. It all started with a dream. A vision, I believe, the guardians had sent me in my sleep that someone was in need. I had been having a series of dreams about a temple lost and hidden in the forest of Dualwood. We had just exited the swampland of River's End after helping Balulabub and his Bullywood kin in their civil war. In my dream, I was a centaur stampeding with a pack. We came across the gray-skinned Bullywugs fleeing from River's End, and we killed them all. That's when I woke up. 
Within the first day of entering Dulwood from River's End, we came across the dead, gray-skinned bullywugs. That's when I started to think that my visions were present day. You mean you can see what is happening somewhere else at the same time? It appears that was true in the specific case, but perhaps not the case for all of my visions. But that is neither here nor there. Let's stick to the story. It appeared this vision led us to a unique strip of land that had been uprooted, almost like a farmer's plowed land here in Yen. When we followed the tracks of this uprooted earth, we found the temple I had been seeing in my visions atop a hill. The torn land seemed to stop right at the base of the hill. It was as if somebody was pushing this big hill like a boulder scraping across the ground. Whoa! What's so big that it could push a hill? Hold on, hold on. We'll get to that. When we approached the temple, we found that it was the lost temple of Hanet, the same temple in my visions, and the same temple that Felomir was searching for. It was almost as if we were fated together. Upon entering the temple, we found it was littered with skeletons that came to life and attacked us. This, students, is what we call necromancy. As I've learned, if you have the gift of arcane sight, this type of arcane magic will have an aura of black. What are the other colors, Miss Astra? We'll have to get Felomir in here one day to give you a lesson on that subject. But anyway, the first room of this temple was the chapel. We found a lot of interesting things in this room. First, we had to fend off a skeletal attack. Then we found a bowl with liquid so black you couldn't see texture or ripples on the surface of it. We gave it the name Icker. Torches on the wall lit up automatically when we entered the room and burned with a purple flame. But what really caught our eye was on the back wall behind the altar, an archway of darkness. Just like the liquid, it was so dark, it seemed like a completely flat surface. Did you try to go into it? We did. We each tried. For most of us, a magical fear was being cast on us. We attempted to fight through it, but we couldn't. It was not within our will. But when Finch went in, he went in for a long, long time. Hours. As we waited for his return, we explored a couple areas of the temple to find there were hordes of skeletons guarding it. Knowing we could really use Finch's help, we returned to the darkness portal to wait and see if he could return. After a night's rest filled with earthquakes, screeches from the skeletons, and Dorth complaining, Finch finally popped out of the darkness. And where it had been almost 12 hours for us, it was only 30 seconds to him. The portal sped up time for him. Whoa. Wow, crazy! Once Finch returned from the darkness, he told us everything, which wasn't much, but also kind of a big deal. It was dark for a while, and after some time of walking and waiting, four bright lights appeared, and they shone down on four orbs. The legendary four orbs, each atop its own pedestal. We could hardly believe it. Wait, what, 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 what are the four orbs? Well, long ago before Felomir was born, there was a man named Remora who forged the orbs and hoped that they would bring balance into the world of Asus. Each orb, a different color, blue, green, red, and black, representing the true elements, life, creation, destruction, and death. Remora created the orbs in hopes that this balance would benefit Asus, though he soon discovered that was not the case. He then spread them across the land of Asus, hiding them as he was unable to destroy these powerful artifacts. It was as if Finch was chosen to see this image as none of us could enter the darkness as he did. We soon set off to explore the rest of the temple with our companion back by our side. So did Finch take the orbs? Oh, right. So once they appeared, 
Finch put a single foot forward to approach the orbs, and as he did, he was immediately ripped back into the temple with the four of us. We all tried to go back through the dark doorway, but it seemed to have sealed itself. But just wait, we'll come back to the orbs. So we fought some more skeletons and came across several books regarding the darkest night. The people of the temple seem to worship this entity that is the darkest night. The worshippers seem to be experimenting with the ichor as we found their notes of trial and error within these books. We're not entirely sure what their goal was, perhaps to speak to this entity somehow, but it appeared that there were also sacrifices made, willingly or unwillingly. Sacrifices? What kind of sacrifices? I'm not sure, but we also found a ledger noting whether the temple dwellers were untouched, tainted, dead, or living. We believe that tainted meant that they had consumed this dark ichor and untouched meant the opposite. We later dunked our eyes into a conjuring ichor-filled basin near an enchanted mirror and looking at each other discovered that our eyes glowed the same purple as the skeletons and we were given the ability to see into the pits of darkness though this ability ended once we stepped foot outside of the temple. But while we still had the ability, we found a room full of pits of this darkness that we could see clearly now, leading down to a somewhat cavern with skeletal remains at the bottom. Before this, however, we found a giant skeleton in full plate armor after spotting the double doors I had seen in one of my visions. Once we were able to inspect this room, Oystrich had left off of me and onto a pile of skeletal remains and began to speak I now know that he is enchanted with divination magic, but as he spoke, he wasn't actually speaking, but serving as a vessel for a long-lost Redonian soldier, Titus. He told us that we must find the orbs and keep them away from shadow. We then found, hidden under the remains of this Redonian soldier, a shard, a remaining key of Kilnar, glowing bright green under the lost soldier's robes. We also found a courtyard outside where we lost our dark vision ability. It had a graveyard with one in particular grave that was completely destroyed and contained no remains. This one seemed to be that of the temple's master, Avid Lar. It is stated in the ledger that we'd found earlier that he was dead and his name was curiously smeared with blood. It was all very odd, but maybe he can explain to you what happened to him in our next class. Wait, he's alive? Of course, he's the one that led us here to Yen after we helped him escape from the Mind Flare. We'll get to that. We'll get more into that later. Where was I? Okay, so after some fiddling, we found we could use this key of Kelnar to walk into the darkness. As long as there was another light source available, the key seemed to draw from the light and illuminated the darkness for us. What about the orbs? Did you ever find them? Oh yes, right. So back to the orbs. We finally cleared the rest of the temple discovering as much as we could along the way, and then decided it time to leave since we had achieved our initial goal, finding the key of Kilnar. Once we made it outside and onto the steps of the temple, we soon stopped dead in our tracks. Down, at the bottom of the steps, there it was. The, the four orbs? No, not the four orbs, but one. One orb. The green one. What happened next? We, in turns attempted taking steps down, closer to the orb, but every inch of movement that we made seemed to summon the earth below us to rumble violently, making us quickly recoil our steps, except for Finch's. Nothing happened as Finch slowly crept closer toward the orb of creation. He was actually ready to grab the orb when suddenly an elf appeared and pleaded for him not to touch it. 
After some introductions and debate as to whether or not Finch was going to die if he touched the orb, he took it. And then after an eerie silence, the earth beneath Finch began to shake, followed by a huge thud. Parts of the earth began to sprout upward, and as we found that the hill the temple sat on wasn't a hill at all, but the body of an earth golem, pinned down by this temple made of dark iron. It managed to produce its head and two giant arms from the ground before making its attack on us. We defeated the golem in time, with myself nearly dying in the process. With the golem dead and the temple in ruins, we healed our wounds and managed to walk away, following Phelan the elf as he took us west. The green orb in Finch's satchel. Felomir, I'm trying to get this thing down. Get what down? I'm trying this new thing. It's like, I think I'm going to call it rapping. That'll never catch on. Uh, Just see. Hold on. I'll show you. Now, this is a story I'd like to tell about five adventurers you know so well. We got Felly and Finch and Cat's Big Blade, and of course we got Astra and Dorothy Fave. We came hot-stepping with mud in our socks, but when we made our grand entrance, they was giving us props. We chilled in the town because our feet were sore. It was a fine little town. Which town? Gamor. See, it's, it's, it's pretty good, right? I, I don't think this is going to work. Come, come on, just... Chill, listen to some more. I got, I got a whole lot more here. I'm waiting. They put us on game. This is the place to be. Come and join our solar festivities. It sounds fun, but we gotta be brief. It's to the crimson hole for my friends and me. Now we're at the gates, but they're playing us foul. We gotta get in and get in now. See, we're here to see Siani about some real shit. So Philly flicked his wrist, now we're in this bitch. See, I even mentioned you in that one. I, I did like that part. Yeah, you were super cool. You came off really cool. I am cool. See, listen to some more. But all was not sweet. Commotion in the street. Dudes clad in black, we should probably defeat. Maybe they're nice, or maybe they're naughty. We'll wonder no more, because they're killing everybody. I guess we got to dip, because this isn't our scene. Let's take our orb and get away clean. Turns out the gates weren't open at all. So we used Feather Fall and jumped over the wall. We're so resourceful. Wow. Look at all the magic you use and all the stuff we did. Well, I didn't use that magic, but you know, who's counting? Whatever. We sneak through the streets trying to peep the scene. Slinging swords of enemies, step into my team. But they were too strong. I even sang a song. A voice say, you don't have that thing very long. See, I have a thing and you have a thing. I want your thing, that's for sure. My thing is red, and you got a green. We're talking about a thing, which thing? The orb. Velmir, what's the name of the fiend? And would you believe they put their hands on me? String up the gnome, they'll break for sure. But of course we fought till we couldn't no more. They'd take Finch's life if we didn't give in. Handed over orbs to our chagrin. But you can go ahead, do your evil and such. We'll be seeing you soon, I'll be in touch. <laughs> See? That was uh, great, right? Uh, that was very interesting. I'll accept that as a compliment. It was. Thank you. So, you guys hungry? No. <sighs> I 
I mean, I, I guess I could eat. You know what? Never mind. I don't want your seconds. Well, I mean, I, we're, I weren't going to share. What? We weren't going to share. I wasn't going to give you my seconds. Why not? You said you didn't want them. Well, now I do. Oh, look, I'm just going to eat a good berry. <sighs> I guess we got to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Mission report. Spirit away. Command member. Finch Cartwright. Mission objective. Dive deep into the cavern to locate and expel the surge of spiritual activity to bring elemental balance back to the range. Mission location, the mountains of Calandria. Party members, Grant Carter, mission leader, cleric, trained in the amalgam of the elements. Finch Cartwright, ranger, bowman. Bryn Talith, rogue, stealth. Rokar, Eldridge Knight, fighter. Mission log. After about an hour of trekking through the dark and sometimes wet cavern, we come upon our first strange sight. A human man lie dead on the ground, still warm. His hands were soft, and his body wore the clothes of a man with no business being down here. We move on until we see a floating, ghostly white figure from a distance. Before we can react, we are spotted and forced to the ground by a powerful telekinetic energy. Combat ensues, and Bren has the final blow. With Brent scouting ahead, we make our way to the end of the corridor, only to find what seems to be a bottomless pit. After Grant lights a coin and tosses it in, we see two hallways. One, 30 to 50 feet below us, and another, 20 to 30 feet below that, on the opposite side. We secure some rope, and Brent makes his way down to the first tunnel. While Brent may have some night vision abilities, he warns the rest of us of the darkness, and Grant lights a torch. Rokar makes his way down next, followed by myself, and then Grant. We continue on with Bren leading the way until we reach a limestone arch embedded in the wall. There are five large limestone bricks making up the archway, each sticking out about an inch engraved with one of five runes. Dimension. Conjuration. Portal. Necrotic. Open. After much deliberation, we start pushing the stones in and the runes begin to light up blue or white. Once all five stones are pushed in, a wave of purple energy rushes over us, delivering damage to all. We realize now the goal is to place each stone into its correct slot, lighting it up blue. We fail the correct order once more and take the brute force of another wave of energy. The correct order was then set in place. Conjuration, necrotic, portal, open, and then dimension. The stone within the archway begins to shine a bright blue before turning into a swirl of blue energy. Hundreds of spirits begin flying from the portal and out through the tunnels. A spirit stops and floats near me, stares into my eyes and says, Thank you. I felt a good energy from the spirit. I believe we may have solved the first half of our problem here. Now we must get to the bottom of their entrapment. We head back the way we came until we reach the pit once more. Our destination is now the tunnel opposite us about 10 feet across, another 20 or so feet below. I tie my rope to the end of the rope we used to get this far to add some length and aid in our trip across. Bren's plan is to jump, and while I may have tied the rope to rope knot nice and tight, the knot I tied around Bren's waist with the other end was useless. Time was wasting, so Bren decided to grab the rope and take off. At a full sprint, he launches himself through the air, landing directly on the edge of the opposite tunnel. 
Brent secures his end of the rope, and we all begin to make our way across. We're in deep now, traveling well below any scout's previous maps. Deep underground, well below the Earth's surface, the cavern opens up into a large chamber. Hundreds more spirits are seen, glowing blue and floating aimlessly around the room. These spirits almost seem mindless, if you will, droning on back and forth with no ambition whatsoever. All while a wraith is seen watching over them, hovering over some sort of dimensional doorway. We all take a second to lick our wounds before Rokar and Bren initiate the combat. The wraith is caught off guard and awakens a spirit to fight for him. Bryn makes it look easy before Grant delivers the final blow of the battle. The wraith bursts as we have purged this land of its spiritual imbalance. The bells rang six times throughout Gamor in honor of each Crimson Command graduate. We are one of the lowest graduating classes on record. Among death and quitters, we are the chosen few. And now that ceremonies have closed, we must take immediate action. I am officially requesting mounts, gear, and coin to the cause to help in the aid of locating and protecting Remora's orbs. As mission leader, I must insist the four friends who have helped me get this far remain my companions on this journey. We have traveled many miles together and with their help, I once held both the green and red orbs. Now, with your help, High Captain Gate, we will secure them all. Finch. We have been wandering through the harsh, cold darkness of Mithron for what feels like months. I am beginning to fear that we will never locate the Arcane Well. It seems like ages ago since we came upon the valley. It was a strange little town, nestled just on the edge of the darkness of Mithron. The townsfolk seemed friendly enough, but as we took our last few steps in the warmth and sunlight of the quiet town, they all said to us the words of the Guardian of Hamerin, May death come swiftly. I am beginning to understand now what it was they meant with those words. As we crossed through the veil of darkness that is Mithron, we encountered a horrid chill, one that has still not gone away. The key of Kilnar provided us with a small green glow, just enough light for us to wander aimlessly through this strange and harsh land. We traveled a short ways through the debris of a town that seems to be the old valley before it was taken by the darkness of Mithron. As we traveled through this rubble, we came upon the remains of an inn, as well as a temple of Hamerin. In the inn, we find what has come to be one of our only sources of comfort in Mithron an ancient bottle of Vappy Panwinkle. And then I'll stop writing for a moment and take a swig. The Temple of Hamerin, however, would provide no such comfort. The staircase leading to the temple is covered in a large pile of snow, a sign of things to come. Inside, we discover a large orb of divination cloaked in a silk cloth, as well as the holy text of Hamerin called the Falul. We take shelter in the temple as we decide our next move, 
And while we do this, two eerie, dog-like creatures enter through the doors. They have long, bony spikes protruding from their backs, which emit some sort of poison, and they are the first of many strange beings we will encounter in this land. We defeat these creatures and discover that a blizzard has begun outside, forcing us to take shelter in this temple for some time. Days or weeks, I don't quite remember. As we find ways to pass the time, the uh, ever-so-curious Doroth decides to lift the silk cloth concealing the orb, which turns out to be some sort of link to Hameran herself. She provides us with no discernible information, instead summoning some sort of fog apparition and turning the orb into glass armor for the creature. After a narrow victory, we discover the blizzard still has not subsided, forcing us to continue waiting in the abandoned temple. As the wind and snow begin to fade, we decide to press onward with our journey. We proceed in a direction that we think is west, away from the valley where we entered the darkness, and come across a small, fetal-like monstrosity laying in a pool of its own blood. The grotesque creature speaks to us in some unknown language, then dies and turns to ash that scatters in the chilling winds. After a few more hours of slow travel through the thick snow, we finally discover more signs of a past civilization. A large mountain with many small homes and monastic buildings lay before us, and as we investigate the village, two large bird-like creatures called Vrocks swoop down and attack us. The creatures spew poison similar to the dogs we encountered earlier and are strangely reminiscent of the small fetal monstrosity we saw dying earlier that day. Once the Vrocks are defeated, we find an entrance leading into the mountain, which appears to be a mine of some sorts, one that we would spend quite some time in. We investigate the entrance of the mine, and realize it is a source of Iridarium, the only known source to exist in all of Asus, apart from the small Iridarium vein in Lothansis. As we marvel at the rarity of what we have discovered in this mine, a sort of giant crustacean appears suddenly in the village causing a collapse at the entrance of the mine. We narrowly avoid death caused by the falling rocks. However, Doroth, Finch, and Astra are pinned by the rubble. Our attempts to rescue our companions are successful, with the exception of Doroth, who is freed but suffers a broken leg in the process. The group mends his leg as best we can. However, finding an available exit out of this mine would not be easy. An abandoned minecart provides a semblance of mobility for Doroth, and after a brief rest, we begin to search for an exit. The mine proves to be rather expansive, and large, vine-like objects run through nearly every tunnel. Our first discovery in this labyrinth is a large storeroom of iridarium, both raw and refined, as well as a large furnace used in the refinement process. Needless to say, we take as much as we can carry. We continue through the mine following the tracks, and encounter many more of the dog creatures we first saw in the Temple of Hameran. We come across a large chamber acting as a lair for a shadowy figure named Odell, Andel, Andrel, something like that. He mentions he is from the realm of Velm, and that Velmir is his master and reveals himself as a mind flayer by attempting to feast on our thoughts and memories. After a quick and decisive victory over Anodel, that was it, our search for an exit continues. We proceed through the mine following a stream of running water we hope will lead us out. Instead, we find a nest which appears to belong to creatures that look exactly like the giant crustacean that trapped us in the mine, only much smaller. Once they are destroyed, we enter another room and discover a prisoner of the mine flayer named Avid Lar, the only friendly face we've seen in Mithron since we entered. It turns out Avid Lar came from the temple of Hanet in Dulwood and was once the master there until he was sacrificed by his fellow disciples. He said that Salamandal brought him back from the dead with the task of delivering all of the keys of Kilnar which we now know are fragments of a scrying orb used by a man named Kilnar to communicate with Hanet, to another guardian named Fasush, located somewhere here in Mithron, 
Avidlar also claims that giving the keys of Kilnar to Fasush will somehow help stop Velmir in whatever evil deeds he has planned with the orbs. However, I am skeptical. Our group now accompanied by Avidlar continues our search for an exit, but instead we come across the source of those vines covering the walls in the mines. It is another one of those dog-like creatures, but this one is much larger, has six eyes, and the origin of the vines is on the back of this monster. A brutal fight ensues, one that I am unconscious for most of, but thanks to a death blow by Keth, and some strange magical oddities from Astra, we barely managed to survive. After the battle and a much needed rest, we finally find our way out of this harrowing mine. The tunnel to our exit takes us up to a cliff high above the ground, and we see a glowing green orb of light in the distance. Thanks to Astra's featherfall, we make it safely down to the snow below us, and discover that the green light belongs to the other fragments of Kilnar's scrying orb that Avidlar lost when he was captured by the Mind Flayer. That was some number of days ago. We have been trudging aimlessly through the darkness ever since, hoping to find this Vasush Avidlar is seeking, or the Arcane Well, or anything really. And then I stop and take another swig of Vappy. I fear that if we don't come across something soon, everyone will begin to unravel. <clears throat> Sacrifices? Sacrifices. How oh, dope. <laughs> yeah, this kid failed a couple of years. Wicked man. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to do a Christ stare over the sacrifice. 